0: Welcome back to the Sports Mix Podcast into episode number 10 as I'm Thomas and I'm back here on Saturday night after I didn't have an episode yesterday on Friday um, but we had two games today in the NFL in which one was an expected outcome uh, in San Francisco while the other was quite the opposite um, between the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens and you know, we're going to break all that down especially with the NBA as well. Also, once again, if you haven't followed the page at SportsMixPodcast on Instagram, please do so. I greatly appreciate it and turn on notifications so you guys don't miss a thing. but um before we get into any games, I just want to mention and just take note that a lot of the episodes that I've been doing have been like pretty strictly on like uh not necessarily like game logs but like just kind of what happened. And I realized that, like, if I have people listening for 30 to 45 minutes to the episodes, like, I want it to be, like, more analysis-based or, like, opinion-based in a way. So I'm going to be, like, totally kind of shifting how I do this podcast in a way that, like, it's not going to be as scripted, in a sense, if that makes sense. Um, and it's just going to be, like, how I feel about, like, what happened or whatever. It's not necessarily going to be about what happened. If if uh, that's more clear, but first off, before we get into the, any of the NFL games, we're gonna start with the NBA like we typically do here on this show. And the Timberwolves just got absolutely destroyed by the Rockets by a score of one hundred thirty nine to one hundred and nine. And I know Josh Okogie had a good game in this one, but to me, <clears throat> I think the Timberwolves really need to evaluate what they're doing in the future um whether that's trading Carl Anthony Towns who has you know f- quite a few years left on his deal after signing the 5 year 190 million dollar extension in uh 2018 or if it's trading Andrew Wiggins who's finally showed glimpses of what we've been waiting for for 6 years here in Minnesota he has 3 years left on his deal but that price is fairly steep i think it gets up to like 33 million in a couple years uh, for his last year of his contract, but I think the Timberwolves seriously need to sit down and think about what they're trying to do here because the talent we're putting out on the court just simply isn't cutting it. And if we can trade Towns or Wiggins, when like we're not competing right now, we're fifteen and twenty three, we're dog shit at home, and we just lost by thirty. I know it's the Rockets, but like we just look dismal on the court. So. I think it goes back to when we drafted as well. You know, these last couple of years, you look at um, Joshua Kogi in 2018 and then Jared Culver this last year. You know, you're taking two guys that simply cannot shoot the ball, like whatsoever. They cannot shoot. I get it. You know, Jared Culver went to the Final Four with Texas Tech. They actually went to the championship. I shouldn't say the Final Four. They went to the championship and ended up losing. But, um, like, for you to draft. Jared Culver over Kobe White, who is playing pretty well with the Bulls, not as well as many expected, and like not as well as he did in the summer league. But that's a guy that for our needs, like as a point guard, with Teague probably on his way out the door, and then behind him you have Shabazz Napier, like that would have made a hell of a lot of sense. Um, and then also like the talks of bringing in like D'Angelo Russell, anyways. Jackson Hayes. The big man in New Orleans, I think that would have been way more beneficial in Culver. Cam Reddish, PJ Washington, like the list goes on. Tyler Hero, I like. I don't understand how you can like miss that bad. And then also the year before, when you look at a Kogi, a Kogi might even be worse because out of Georgia Tech, like this dude wasn't like that good. Like even in college, like he really wasn't. Yeah, he can jump. He's athletic, but. You're taking him over guys like Landry Shamet out of Wichita State, who had a great career at Wichita, and then um, is playing well with the Clippers now. Jalen Brunson, who did it, you know, with uh, Villanova. I think he won two championships with Villanova. Devontae Graham, who's lighting it up with Charlotte, Bruce Brown, etc. Like, I think... That's a big part of why we're not as talented as we should be because two straight first round picks we've honestly like missed on in my opinion. I don't see a future with Jared Culver and Josh Okogie. Another thing that I wanted to mention about the Timberwolves is that Jimmy Butler's antics, you know, back a couple years ago when we made the playoffs and then him just like tearing down our whole franchise and leaving, that literally costed us probably four or five years. I think it set set us back at least four years you know just so we could get that 8 seed i feel like that was just all greed and like we poured everything into that season uh you know we had the rebrand obviously the rebrand had to come about anyways but the fact that like everything was poured into that year just so we could make the playoffs against houston we were lucky to even win one game but you know win one game and lose in five i just don't understand what the timberwolves i think they really misevaluated um, a couple years when they brought in Butler, and just these last couple years too with like putting talent on the court. Anyways, we're gonna move into the next game. Uh, the next teams that's gonna be the Boston Celtics destroying the New Orleans Pelicans by a score of one forty to one hundred five, as the Celtics snapped their three game skid, uh, the longest losing streak they've had all season. You know people were freaking out in Boston, but thanks to Tatum's career high forty one point outing at the Garden, the Celtics took care of business and. Another thing I want to mention about the Celtics is that, in my opinion, I think that the that Boston should trade Gordon Hayward um, for a solid big man because even though Daniel Tice is playing well, you know he's getting elevated minutes where he's he hasn't seen that role before. Obviously, with losing Horford, I just think that if they could go out and bring in a competent or damn near pretty good big man, if you package Hayward and someone else. You look at their roster already, I think that already having, of course, Kemba, but when you look at replacing Gordon Hayward, you already have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, um, Marcus Smart. I think that losing Gordon Hayward, who is a guy that honestly hasn't really impressed me a whole lot this year, I know he hasn't been bad, and he's actually been pretty decent the last you know, couple weeks, but you know, 15, 15, 16 point guy that is just not necessarily there all the time and I don't think he makes that big of a difference for Boston as much as a big man would um for the Celtics but anyways they took care of business against the Pelicans one by 35 points moving on to the Celt or the uh Bulls and Chicago or sorry the Bulls and the Detroit Pistons game I didn't watch a lot of the NBA today by the way um this one involved Andre Drummond getting ejected as the Pistons lost to the Bulls at home by a score of one hundred eight to ninety nine. Drummond actually like threw the ball at the back of Daniel Gafford's head. It was pretty damn funny if you go watch it. Like he kind of Gafford kind of looked at him, kind of stared him down. Drummond literally got the ball down from the net and just whipped it, or I shouldn't say whipped it, but I mean he clearly hit Gafford in the head. He got ejected. Gafford got a technical. And the other thing I want to mention with the Bulls is that I feel like something's up with Laurie Markkinen, their big guy out of Arizona. It just kind of seems like he's either disinterested in playing basketball, he's not getting the rock enough. I don't know what it is, but his rebounding numbers are clearly down this year. And I don't know if it's just as a result of playing with Zach Levine, maybe. But averaging just 15 and 6 rebounds for a guy that was seen as kind of a franchise player last year in how he played. Um, I don't know. Something's up with Lori Markkinen, in my opinion. The next game we had was the Los Angeles Lakers. They were without Anthony Davis and LeBron James in this one, but it didn't matter in Oklahoma City as they won by 15 points against the Thunder. As uh, Kyle Amber Rose Kuzma, I like to call him now, with his blonde-looking hair, dropped 36 points. Um, For a second straight good game, I think he had like 24, 26 points last game, which was last night. This was a second end of a back-to-back for the Lakers. But I also want to mention that uh, Avery Bradley seems just completely broken as a basketball player. I get that he never scored, but to start and play 25 minutes and shoot three times and then make one three. You know, three points, two rebounds, and two assists. Think about that. Three points, two rebounds, and two assists. What does this do getting paid? I really want to check here because Avery Bradley signed a two-year, $9.7 million deal with the Lakers. He's getting paid $4.8 million to do something that I think I actually could have that stat line if I played in the NBA. For 25 minutes, if you put me on the court... And I think a lot of you guys, too, that are watching that are at least, you know, competent athletic-wise, in a way, you know, if you could shoot the basketball, that you could have a stat line of three points, two rebounds, two assists. Anyways, I don't want to waste any more time on that with Avery Bradley, but that dude is just a joke. On the flip side, you know, we've seen Dwight Howard really excel with this team. He looks like—I know he's called Superman, and that was his— um Nickname. He literally looks like Superman, that dude. His calves are fucking skinny as shit. And he is just (laughs) so lean. And his head is so small. He's a very fit dude. And once again, he played well off the bench for the Lakers. He made all his free throws. 12 points, 14 boards. I really like what uh, the Lakers have going with Dwight Howard off the bench. And then another guy... Who kinda revived his his whole career after leaving the Celtics is Rajon Rondo. You know, he obviously got more more of a chance tonight, but shooting the ball twenty two times for Rondo. Obviously that's a product of A D and LeBron not being on the court, but twenty one points, twelve boards, eight assists, like that's vintage Rondo stuff right there. That's that's Rajon Rondo with big baby Glenn Davis on the Celtics kind of stat line right there. Anyways, the Lakers improved to thirty-two and seven, seventeen and three away from the Staples Center, and like anyone will tell you, they're above and beyond everyone else in the West. For me, um, I think a lot. Of, I guess a lot of people would say the Clippers are kind of right there with them. But when you look at their depth, I I think it beats out the Clippers. I know the Clippers have Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, um, Pat Bev. They 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 do have a good bench as well. But to me, the Lakers will finish the one seed. They've won eight in a row. And I think that the two through five, I'll even throw the Jazz in there. Um, the Clippers, Nuggets, Rockets, and Jazz in the West. Like Those those four are like the second tier for me. Um, and I know the Jazz about been on an eight-game win streak, and it might be a little inflated, and it's probably more of just the Clippers, Nuggets, and Rockets. But I think that those three or four teams take it down – to the wire for seeding I think all the way until the last few days of the year honestly as I don't see any of them coming close to the Lakers you know within four or five games and uh, I don't see them really separating themselves from each other the next game we had tonight was uh, let's see here between the Philadelphia 76ers who forget how to play basketball away from Philadelphia taking on the Dallas Mavericks as the Mavericks won this one by 18 points um, there's no Joel Embiid in this one for Philly, but 7-13 and on the road is absolutely dismal. Like I told you, Coach Brett Brown, the dude can coach at home and they're good in the regular season. But when it comes to the playoffs, the 76ers won't be doing anything. I can guarantee it. Um, you, you know, a playoff team doesn't go 7-13 and on the road, Even at even if people want to say it's still early in the season, which it really isn't. Um, when they've played 40 games already halfway through the year. Um, Dallas didn't even play that well, too, in this one, which is the even better part about this. I really don't like the 76ers at all, just from a fan point. I really hate Brett Brown. Um, I do like Ben Simmons, but I think that Embiid bitches too much and... Tobias Harris isn't consistent enough for me for what he gets paid to do. Anyways, Luke almost fell into another triple-double in this one, but he fell short. Next game up, the second-to-last game of the slate uh, was between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Denver Nuggets, and the NBA just continues to make no sense at times, and more often than not, honestly, as the Cavaliers stunned Denver by 8 points on the road. Colin Sexton at 25, but I think the bigger story in this one was just how unassertive Nikola Jokic was and this is why people hate on Nikola Jokic and it's true it's right it's deserved because for a guy that scored a career-high 47 points on Monday you know shot the shit out of the ball and then another solid game I think that was on Wednesday versus the Mavs he had like I think the exact stat was like 24 of his 36 points in the second half. So he had 36 against Dallas on the road. It's a big W in, uh, against the Mavericks and Luka in their stadium. But this dude went 8 for 12 tonight in 34 minutes and only had 19 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists. You know, the average fan that checks. The box score, whatever, he's going to tell you it wasn't a terrible game. But 19 points on 8 of 12 shooting, doesn't that typically tell you you're shooting the ball well? And once again, I didn't see this game, but the minutes tell me that he wasn't out there for like less minutes necessarily. You know, 34 minutes is a healthy dose amount of minutes, especially for that ogre um, who kind of just, you know, I see why people get mad at Jokic and about his play and why people call him overrated because – It it seems like he's just so disinterested, kind of like Laurie Markkinen. Like I was saying before, it's just like the dude mopes around the court, and when you shoot eight for twelve, you continue to shoot the ball, especially against Cleveland when your team's losing. I just don't understand. Maybe like if you can't get separation, I don't know what it was, but it made no sense. You know, looking at just the stat line once again. I didn't watch this game, and I'm actually gonna DM and talk to Nuggets Wave on Instagram who knows more about the Nuggets than anyone I know. Um, and just cuz I know he watched the game and I just want to make sure I'm not mis misspeaking uh, here about the performance Jokic put up tonight. The only other thing I wanted to mention from this one on the Cleveland side was I like Darius Garland a lot. Uh taking him out of Vanderbilt this last year, you know, a fifth fifth overall pick. He's kind of coming into his own a little bit. And that was a solid pick for the Cavs for their future. And he's getting more and more comfortable as you uh, you know, see him. I didn't see him tonight, but he put up another nice game tonight. I think he had uh, 18 points and 8 assists. So definitely a nice game for Darius Garland. Let's move on to the last game uh, between the Milwaukee Bucks and the... Portland Trailblazers, who I've spoken badly about multiple times on this podcast, and once again, Portland and CJ McCollum also, especially CJ McCollum, prove why he's just one of the most overrated players in this league, honestly, in my opinion. He's in All-Star Talk every year. I don't understand it. He, I don't think he is this year, honestly, and I hope not, but... Shooting seven and nineteen from the field tonight. Yeah, he dropped twenty, but who cares? Um, they lost by twenty one to the Bucks, one twenty two to one hundred and one. As the Bucks took care of business for their best franchise start in NBA history through forty games, entering this one. Giannis thirty two and seventeen. <clears throat> it must feel awesome to be able to just kind of body everyone in this league and rise up everywhere on the court, no matter. Who you're facing, how you feel, what you're doing, what arena you're in, like it, where you are on the court, it doesn't matter. It's just unfair. It literally, it that's what it comes down to. It's unfair to play Giannis in basketball, and I can't imagine being his brother, having to play him. i I know my brother and I played all the time when we were younger, and I couldn't imagine just outdoor, you know, pick up basketball with, fucking Giannis. I mean, that's just, it's unfair. So, the only other, other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, Chris Middleton, this guy on the opposite end, the other side of CJ McCollum talk, is that he doesn't get appreciated enough, Chris Middleton. You know, he balls out day in, day out. He dropped another 30 tonight, 4 for 4 from 3. And it's pretty incredible to consistently post at least 22, 23 points a game typically more in the upper 20s uh, in points when you have to share the court with the Greek freak. So I think we got to stop giving love to CJ McCollum. I know Dame's great, but, like, at the same time, Dame Lillard, like, I'm waiting for them to do something in the playoffs. It's not going to be this year. They're 8-under 500. But I don't know. Something's up with Portland, and we got to start appreciating other guys in the Bucs. You know, Eric Bledsoe, he needs more appreciation as well. He dropped 29, I think, tonight. But anyways, let's move into college basketball. We're going to hit on a few games. I watched uh, just the Indiana and Ohio State game, in which Indiana won that. I wish I watched the Baylor-Kansas game, but once the NFL went on today, I was all tuned in to the NFL, so I'm going to be covering that mainly for the rest of the show, but I just want to touch on the scores, at least for college basketball. I know I said at the beginning of the show that I wouldn't be just you know talking about what happened, but... I don't really have anything to add for these games because I didn't watch any of them whatsoever. Um, but Gonzaga killed Iola Marymount. Duke uh, won by 31 against Wake Forest. You know, Duke will continue to be the number one or number two seed in March, but even last year with Zion, like they made it to the Elite Eight where they lost to Michigan State, and it just kind of seems like they always choke. And no, they didn't make the Elite Eight. I think it was to go to the Elite Eight. But yeah, they always just seem to choke. Uh it they remind whenever I see Duke in March Madness, it reminds me of the season that they lost to Lehigh. I think it was the two fifteen matchup, two seed versus fifteen seed. And I, I think I had Duke winning it all in my bracket that first week and there's nothing worse. And that's why I make m- multiple brackets nowadays. But there's nothing worse than when I was younger I'd have one bracket and you know, that it would be toast after the first day. Anyways, Baylor got a nice dub. This was a marquee matchup, like I said before, between number four Baylor and number three Kansas. And Baylor went on the road in Kansas and just kind of stomped them. They were up 13.5, finished the job 167.55, in a very tough place to play. Uh, Baylor seems for real, honestly. And they have one loss here. I'm going to check who that is against. Um, let's see here. Baylor lost their second game of the year to Washington by three points. They've beaten number 17 Villanova at the time, number 12 Arizona, 18 Butler, 22 Texas Tech, and then three Kansas. So that's a team that easily could be a number one seed come March. Auburn destroyed Georgia as them and San Diego State remain the two undefeated teams left in uh, college basketball in Division One, as they're 15-0. Like I just said, San Diego State, they beat Boise State by 18 as uh, they're 17-0 and in the year. Oregon is playing well after uh, losing that game to Colorado. They're back to ninth in the country. They beat Arizona State by nine. I mentioned that I watched the Indiana game. I actually didn't see the ending of it, but I watched probably from like eight minutes in the first half to left in the first half to probably like ten minutes left in the second half and Indiana ended up taking care of business after being down three at halftime. uh, They took down number 11 Ohio State who clearly is not as good as we thought coming into the year. You know they beat North Carolina when North Carolina was seventh in the country but North Carolina is now awful but they've lost to Minnesota, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Maryland, and Indiana. Ohio State's on a four-game losing streak and yet, coming into this game, they're still the 11th ranked team in the country. I guess I just don't understand that. I know that they were third after beating number six Kentucky, but you can't tell me that after losing to Wisconsin and Maryland, who I get it is number 12, that they would still be ranked 11. I just don't understand that. Anyways, oh, maybe the Maryland game was before they did the reseeding. Anyways, they're going to be way down. They might honestly be out of the top 25. They should be, in my opinion. Uh, with a 11-5 record, and then, like I said, on that four-game losing streak. But good for Indiana. They seem to be for real. You know, the last, I guess Indiana, I'm not sure exactly last year, but they haven't been as good as Indiana's teams have been. You know, I think of the Christian Wofford days when they were, like, number one or two in the country. Indiana's back, and it's good to see Indiana back, and the Big Ten is, you know, a, a solid team in the conference Louisville uh, escaped a late push by Notre Dame. This one was in Indiana. At Notre Dame. The score was sixty-seven, sixty-four. Number thirteen, Louisville barely got out of there with a W. Alabama held in there against Kentucky, number fourteen, Kentucky, but Kentucky outlasted them by nine. Number fifteen, Dayton won by twenty-eight against UMass. Villanova handled Georgetown by fourteen. Number seventeen, West Virginia. Played host to 22 Texas Tech. West Virginia won that one by 12. We had an upset um, between Syracuse and Virginia. Syracuse a team that has gotten multiple chances at quad one wins this year. But uh, finally took care of business as a lot of games have escaped them earlier in the year. And I feel like this is just setting up for another Syracuse play team. You know, when Syracuse made, I think, did they make the Final Four or Elite Eight? I think it was the Final Four that year. I want to say they were an 11 seed, I swear. They were a double-digit seed. But uh, Bayheim's squad, and I think it's Bayheim's kid or Bayheim's nephew, I'm not sure. He banked in a a three-pointer in overtime. This one went to OT uh, as they beat the uh, former champs in the Virginia Cavaliers by eight. And then another upset in the Big Ten as Micah Potter... For uh, Wisconsin, the big man had 24 points and 13 rebounds as Wisconsin took down number 20 Penn State in Pennsylvania. Penn State might not be as good as we thought either after uh, losing. I, mean, I get Rutgers is a tough game, and they did beat Iowa, so I kind of take that back. Uh, but on its two-game losing streak now, they'll play at Minnesota on, let's see here, that'll be on Wednesday, I believe. Um, for their next game but before they play a three-game stretch, a tough stretch for Penn State between Ohio State, Michigan on the road, and then Indiana at home. But that's going to do it for uh, college basketball, at least for the top 25. Looking at the Big Ten, I just want to touch on a couple other games. As Illinois actually beat Rutgers, and Illinois is playing some inspired basketball recently, beating... Purdue, which is a tough game, they killed Purdue at home. They beat Wisconsin, who they hadn't beaten for 15 years. And then Rutgers, who I get it, they're a little bit different on the road as they're 11-0 and at home, but Rutgers is definitely a solid squad. When you look at uh, the standings for college basketball, and specifically in the Big Ten, Illinois is now, uh, let's see here, if I can get there fast enough. Illinois is second in the Big 10 actually, at a 4 and 2 record in the conference. While Rutgers is 5th and Michigan State leads the way at 5 and 0 in the conference. Ohio State second to last in the conference at 1 and 4. Um and Iowa at 2 and 3. I think they're a little bit better than that. But anyways, guys, you came here probably for the NFL breakdown. I'm sorry it took 27 minutes to get there, but finally We have made it as we begin in San Francisco. And from the get-go, I shouldn't say the get-go because the Vikings had a chance earlier in this game. The first possession for the Vikings was a 3-and-out. But the Niners had probably the easiest first opening drive of their playoffs you know, like their first game in the playoffs whatever, that you could ask for out of Jimmy G. But the part where the Vikings had a chance was they scored the touchdown. The Diggs had a – you know, Cousins threw the ball for Diggs, and I forget which corner it was, but he kind of like fell down or whatever. Diggs made a nice inside move on the the ball. He ended up getting the 41-yard touchdown, and Diggs was silent the rest of the game, honestly. But after a 10-play drive and only went 25 yards for the Niners – The Vikings got the wall back, and they had a little bit of momentum, but all of a sudden, right out the window. uh, They went three and out. San Fran scored a touchdown on the next drive. But then once again, they gave the Vikings a little bit of hope heading into half as Jimmy G had just an awful interception. He didn't even see Eric Kendricks. like There's no way he could have seen him. As the Vikings ended up getting a field goal before the end of the half, and it was only 14-10 heading into the second half of football, as it kind of felt like Jimmy G, I, I don't know, as, as a Bears fan and wanting the Niners to win, and, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot of the Niners this year. I've definitely seen my fair share and probably more than the average fan. But Jimmy G looked like he was just, like, fucking off. Like, I don't like, he just, he looked timid. He didn't want to, he threw the ball into into double coverages, even triple coverages. Like, this dude should have had at least three interceptions. And if the Vikings were able to capitalize on those and, like, just his unawareness, it seemed like, like, there was just, like, miscues or false starts. San Fran didn't play a good first half, and I feel like they kept the Vikings around long enough where if the offense for the Vikings could have done at least something – that they this would have been a totally different game. I know it ended 27-10. I picked the Niners at minus 7 for the betting pick on the show. But it just seemed like the Vikings didn't take uh, full advantage of the slow start from San Fran. And then coming out of the half, you know, once again, they kept them in it a little bit as the Niners were held to a field goal to make it 17-10. But from there... (laughs) Kirk Cousins threw that pick, it was a god-awful pick, to start their first uh, drive of the third quarter to Richard Sherman, and from there, they didn't really look back as San Fran literally ran the ball on the next drive eight straight times. They literally said, hey, we're going to take this ball and we're going to run it right up your ass eight straight times and you're not going to do anything about it, absolutely nothing. 8-play, 44-yard drive, 4 minutes and 55 seconds after a 4-minute and 18-second drive to start the third quarter. So, over 9 minutes of time possession while the Vikings' first drive, the interception was less than a minute. I mean, that was the difference. As I think that after the first half, if the Vikings would have came out, even giving up the field goal, if they could have came back in that first drive and gotten a touchdown or even just a field goal to keep it 13-17 tie it up maybe at 17 all. it's a totally different game. Because from there out, all San Francisco wanted to do was run the ball. And the Vikings couldn't stop it. Tevin Coleman, uh, you have to give credit to not only Tevin Coleman, but their offensive line. But it just goes to show that any guy in this San Francisco uh, running back committee, it doesn't matter. They're going to feed the hot hand. And Tevin Coleman at 22 carries. But when you look at it, you know, coming into this game, everyone's like, oh, well, Well, Raheem Mostert is the number one back, which, yeah, he was. And, yeah, he scored in six straight games, but it just clearly shows you that if you have a good offensive line an amazing defense, which I'm going to get to in a second, and a competent quarterback and fresh legs with three running backs, I mean, no one can tell me that you can't have enough solid running backs or that you shouldn't have at least three solid running backs on your team. We saw it in both games today between – You know, two different styles, obviously, but when you have a good defense and a solid running game, you don't need a good quarterback. Jimmy G had 131 yards today. Ryan Tannehill, I think, had 82 passing yards. We'll check that uh, when we get to that game. They had a combined, like, barely over 200 passing yards in the two Ws today, yet both teams absolutely destroyed the other. You know, Sanford winning by 17 and Tennessee winning by 16, like... It's just so weird how the NFL works that we live in a, you know, it's all about the passing game. You know, we live in a passing league, they say. But yet, it seems like when it when push comes to shove, like they say, defense wins championships. And part of a good defense is a good running game. Because when you keep your team off the field, like the Niners did... Compared to the Vikings, D, you start to wear down on them. I think that also the bye week had a lot to do with it in the second half. As the Niners outrushed the Vikings 186 yards to just 21, Delvin Cook was taken out of the game completely. Two yards per carry. Just nine carries. Um, Stephon Diggs, like I said, he had that 141-yard catch. He finished the game with two catches. Uh, Delvin Cook had six catches for eight yards receiving. And then when you look at San Francisco, like literally the receiving game in both on both of these teams was non-existent. Debo Samuel, who came into the game, feasting on opponents, three catches, forty-two yards on six targets. Kendrick Bourne was the leading receiver in a way, not yardage wise, but he had the touchdown. He had five targets. He caught three of his three of his targets for forty yards. Emmanuel Sanders, two catches, and the best of all. Is if you would have told me that the Vikings limited Jimmy G to one hundred thirty-one yards, and that Debo Samuel or that no receiver had over fifty receiving yards, and that George Kittle be held to three catches for sixteen yards, I would have told you the Vikings won. But the key in this one was the defense. Uh, the San Francisco defense is something that I haven't seen before. At least the D line, Nick Bosa um Arik Armstead, DeForest Buckner. You go down the list. D Ford. Getting back Juan Alexander. I mean, these guys ate up Kirk Cousins for lunch. They destroyed the offensive line and I don't know how much you can really blame Kirk Cousins. He didn't have a good game. Um but the dude took 6 sacks. I mean, what do you want him to do, I guess? Nick Bosa, two sacks, two tackles for loss. Well, those obviously would obviously be the two sacks. Six solo tackles. Fred Warner, seven tackles. Um, Dre Greenlaw, four tackles. I mean, these guys just destroyed Kirk Cousins. Arik Armstead took Kirk Cousins and made him look like a rag doll at the three-yard line on a sack. force Buckner, he, re- he wreaked havoc. I mean, that and it's not even like the Vikings D... Passing D was good. It was. Um, it's not like they played terrible. And I just think like they couldn't put anything together offensively. On the last drive, the Vikings came into that drive with, I want to say the number is three, it could be four, first downs for the whole entire game. Four, it was four, I remember now. Four first downs and the record for least first downs in a playoff game in NFL history was five. They ended up getting, uh, let's see here. I'll double check. Uh, let's see. First down, seven. So they ended up getting three on that last drive. Maybe it was the last couple of drives because they got, yeah, they got the ball at the end one last time. But 147 total yards. Like, it wasn't even a competition. Um, and I don't know if you can, if you want to blame the coaching. There definitely was some questionable play calls out of, uh, Stefanski but I don't know man like when you go 21 minute possession to 38 minutes of possession in contrast uh it's not gonna turn out well especially when you have a team that's built on a strong offensive line and a running back by committee approach with just a bunch of fresh legs you know 22 carries for Tevin 12 for Mostert 8 for Breida each guy contributed, you know, Breeden not so much, I guess, but Mostert still, you know, both Mostert and Coleman averaged 4.8 yards per carry as that was pretty much the difference. It was It was the running game. That was it. As the Niners will now play again uh, at home, obviously as the number one seed against the winner of the Seattle Green Bay game tomorrow. But overall, like, it was just an ass-beating. Um, but I will say that if you replay that game and the Vikings either uh, score after, you know 7-7, to the Niners had that 10-play drive, and then the Vikings had a chance, but they went 3-and-out. I think if they score on that drive or after giving up the field goal to make it 17-10 out of the half, I get it was a long drive, you cannot throw that pick, Kirk Cousins. And I also want to say, though, that Adam Thielen seems just as much to blame on that interception because it looked like... It was an in route or a slant, or whatever. And Thielen almost looked like he stopped the route, and you definitely can't do that. So I'm not going to put it all on Kirk Cousins. And also, six sacks, I'm really not blaming Kirk Cousins for this loss. Um, I think you know Vikings fans should be happy that they even got to this point as they were playing with house money. But in the end, I was happy that the better team won, and it clearly showed. I mean, on defense, the Niners looked like a totally different team after getting three or four new starters back from injury. The other game, which uh <laughs> I don't even know where to start, I guess Derek Henry, the dude is King Henry, that's his name, King Henry. the Titans won this one twenty eight to twelve, and uh seventy two yards for Ryan Tannehill last week in the W over the Patriots, eight completions on fifteen passing attempts. Ryan Tannehill tonight, seven completions, 14 pass attempts, 88 yards, two touchdowns. I should also mention he had one touchdown and one interception last week. And the Titans play the most ugly but yet pristine offense I've seen in the NFL this year. They don't give a shit what it looks like with Derrick Henry. I mean, like... I guess I don't I don't even know how to explain the way Derrick Henry runs. You have to watch it. But 34, I think it was 34, the number was last week carries for Derrick Henry. 30 carries for him tonight. 195 yards. I mean the the Ravens didn't execute offensively, obviously. Um they stunned Baltimore. And they're stunning me with I don't even know where to start to explain what happened in this game. I for your guys' sake, I hope you watched it, just because you can understand kind of where I'm at for a loss of words on how to analyze this game, especially because it just wrapped up a few hours ago. But the Ravens came into this one. I guess I'll start it with this on the Ravens side. We'll start with the Ravens, and we'll get into Tennessee. The Ravens, 12 straight wins. They played their style of football for 12 games. However, Tennessee got and I, said, I know I said I'd I'd talk about Tennessee later on, but this plays into Baltimore and kind of how this game went about. Tennessee knew that if they could get a couple stops that were out of the ordinary at the beginning of the game, that they could flip the script and make this a Der- another Derrick Henry game and do exactly what they want to do, exactly what they did last year against New England, and it worked perfectly. Lamar Jackson came out Um, Well, I should say Tennessee punted the ball right away after a five-play drive. But then Lamar Jackson threw an interception. It was not totally his fault. The ball was a little over, I believe it was Mark Andrews' head. I can double-check that right here, actually. Uh, Yeah, Mark Andrews intercepted by uh, Kevin Byard at Tennessee's 19-yard line. And then Tennessee goes down and scores a touchdown. Beautiful catch, by the way, by uh, tight end Johnu Smith. He was just one-handed, bobbled, you name it. Ate a sandwich while he caught it. I don't even know how he caught it. Touchdown, Tennessee went up 7-0. And then, fourth and one for Baltimore, around the 50-yard line. Baltimore had never, or hadn't failed in getting a fourth and one all season, okay? Remember that stat. Well, guess what? Turnover on downs. The next play. Khalif Raymond, 45-yard bomb, you know, caught. A beautiful catch, but an even better throw by Tannehill. It almost looked like he led him way too far. But a beautiful call by Mike Vareble to say, you know what, we came out here and we're up 7-0 already. We've gotten a, a turnover on downs and also an interception to start the season or start the game against the MVP. Why not take our shot? And I love that because you see... Coach, he could have got concert not necessarily conservative, but he could have just stayed in his um, in his uh, script. You know, it was early enough in the game where he could have stayed in his script. But he basically said, fuck all that. I'm going for it. And it worked. 45-yard touchdown. Tennessee grabbed a lead 14-0. And there was a little bit of panic from Baltimore. Just a, just a little bit. Baltimore ends up getting a field goal. They end up getting another field goal. But the key on that, a 14-play, 91-yard drive by Baltimore, they didn't give up the touchdown, Tennessee, that is. And it was the first game all season that the, that the Ravens hadn't scored a first-half touchdown. And you thought, okay, well, maybe there's a chance. I looked at uh, the live betting odds for this the second half of the game. You know, Baltimore was like minus 130. And I was like, ah, yeah, Vegas knows. Uh, 'cause I was thinking I'd get a little bit of uh a little bit of or better odds, I should say I don't know what I was looking for there. I thought I could get better odds with Baltimore down eight you know like i'll 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 hit Vegas with that you know they'll they'll have Tennessee at minus one seventy no Baltimore was the favorite to win the game down eight entering in the half anyways, we get to the second half. And Baltimore drives all the way down to Tennessee's 18 yard line, another fourth and one. Like I said, remember that number, fourth and one. And one of the most boneheaded, oddest plays, play calls I've seen, I I don't know if it was the play call or Lamar Jackson, but he did a QB sneak under center, rolled, or kind of pushed to the right. Yeah, that makes a little bit of sense. You know, try to get around to the right like they typically, well, not typically do, but it's Lamar Jackson. But then proceeds to, like, go backwards almost, and he lost. Well, I guess they gave him no gain here. I'm looking at it. But it's almost like he lost a yard trying to, like, go back. I did not understand it whatsoever. Anyways, you're thinking, all right, well, screw it. Baltimore's up uh, 14-6. Or, no, Tennessee's up 14-6. They'll get the ball back eventually. Like, whatever. No. Derrick Henry. This dude runs so it's so pristine, like it's literally he's like a robot. He runs like straight up, uh his arms don't move a whole lot, but and since he's six four, whatever he is, two forty seven two fifty it he doesn't look fat, it's hard for him to look fast, but he's fast as hell sixty six yard run to Baltimore six, and then things got really interesting. Third and goal at Baltimore's three, you're thinking, all right, well, if they can hold him to a field goal. I mean, they're still in this game. (laughs) What do you know? The jump pass from Derrick Henry to anyone else but Corey Davis. Tennessee takes a 21-6 lead. Still plenty of time in the third quarter. Like, whatever. First play of the drive. Lamar Jackson fumbles. Recovered by Tennessee. A few plays later, touchdown. Ryan Tannehill on third and goal at Baltimore's 1. They run a QB option. I mean, Tennessee just does things that are so uncharacteristic that they work. And it's just like you think about it, and you're like, why has no one ever tried that? Anyways, they take a twenty eight to six lead. Lamar throws another pick and pretty much the end of this game, I mean, Baltimore ended up scoring on a Hayden Hurst touchdown. It's actually a beautiful beautiful touchdown, fifteen yard pass. But they didn't get the two point conversion. It stayed a sixteen point game throughout. And I kind of just went through a little game. I said I was going to talk about Baltimore first. But what I was trying to get at is that Baltimore wasn't comfortable at any point in this game. And you have to give so much credit to Mike Vrabel and Titans in just saying like, hey, we're going to run exactly what we ran last week, and you're not going to be able to stop it. Six and a half yards per carry for Derrick Henry. A guy that's making, I think, 1.2 or 1.1 million this year. And then the other side, there's no way in hell, I'll eat my hat, if Lamar Jackson has thrown more than 59 times in any other game this year, yet alone having two picks, sacked four times, he lost a fumble. The passing game, I think they dropped six balls was the number. No, they actually dropped seven because I saw that stat, and then they dropped the last one before it was turnover, not, turnover on downs with like 40 seconds left in the game. Anyways, I think it was seven drop passes. And it didn't help that Mark Ingram, <coughs> excuse me, that Mark Ingram reaggravated his calf injury and didn't, wasn't was a pretty much non factor. But Lamar Jackson still had twenty carries for 143 yards. He honestly did all he could, in my opinion. It's just that their pat their receivers didn't get open. But once again, that's credit to Tennessee's defense. Logan Ryan, thirteen tackles. Kevin Byard, eleven tackles. Um, like these guys all stepped up. And when you look at Baltimore's receiving crew, yeah, Marquise Brown had a nice game, but they halted Mark Andrews, who was honestly the key threat. Four, four, uh, four catches for 39 yards, and they didn't allow anything, honestly, uh, down the field, unless it was in that garbage time, you know, Hayden Hurst. And it just seemed like Lamar Jackson was really frustrated, first off. I We haven't seen that in a while, and it makes sense. You know, they haven't lost in... 12 or 13 weeks if you count last week's bye week uh winning 12 in a row and also probably their bye week within there sometime else so probably more like 14 15 weeks whatever um it was uncharacteristic to see Lamar getting mad at the players you know his teammates but what can you say and you can you blame him really when the dude has over 140 rushing yards over three hundred pass fifty passing yards and he's doing all he can yet the receivers just didn't show up and I think it also goes to coaching as well up front, Tennessee got there when they needed to. Those two fourth and one stops literally changed the whole entire game. And then on the other side for Tennessee, like I've said multiple times, they literally told Baltimore, hey, if we get and everyone knew it, if we get up in this game, why are we going to get away from what got us here? Uh they did the same thing against New England last week. I mean, look at Tannehill's numbers compared to last week. Eight for fifteen last week, seventy two passing yards, and a touchdown and a pick. This game, 7-14, 88 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Error-free ball from Tannehill. Uh, I feel great for Tannehill, a guy that you didn't even know if he was meant for this league anymore after his days in Miami came to a close. And, like, I don't know. I Right now, I put the Titans at as best chance as anyone in the league to win the Super Bowl. And that's literally on Ja Morant. On On Ja. I like to say that, by the way. It's a saying of mine. On jaw that Tennessee, I haven't seen New England, who has a great D, and Baltimore has a great D, gave up 93 yards per carry. Or sorry, not 93 yards per carry. That'd be kind of nuts. 93 yards, rushing yards per game this season. Uh, That's a top five. I think it's a top five stat in the NFL. Um, If not top five, it's for sure top ten. But I haven't seen anyone be able to stop this guy. And if D continues to play well, I look at next week, they've seen Houston twice this year already. Uh, I'm not sure how they've done exactly against them. And actually, I can check real quick for you. They lost to the Texans uh, in Week 15, 24-21, but they beat the Texans 35-14 last game of the year. Oh, but that was the game Deshaun Watson didn't play at all. But hey, in Week uh, 15, they lost by three. And, you know, I just feel like they're really hitting their stride. They're going to tell teams that if we get up, we're going to do exactly what's got us here. And until anyone stops Derrick Henry, once again, like I said about the Niners game, if you have a run game, a competent quarterback that doesn't make mistakes and a good defense, I mean, you have his best odds to win the Super Bowl than any passing attack that goes out there and throws for 400 yards consistently. And it that'll be a very interesting matchup. If Kansas City gets to play Tennessee, um, you know, the push comes to shove. Something's got to give between Mahomes taking over uh, versus Derrick Henry. But then when you look at that, like, like, like I said, they, they, they stopped Lamar Jackson in a sense. They rattled Lamar Jackson. I know that the stats were all there, but they did something that we haven't seen all season done by any team. Uh, in regards to putting them in uncomfortable situations. And, you know, you thought that Baltimore's offense was explosive enough to come back and, you know, get some points on the board. And that's why, you know, Vegas favored them at halftime, whatever. Uh, But in the end, like, it didn't matter. Uh, Tennessee, the way they can control the clock with Derrick Henry, I mean, that's a keeper right there with that guy. But anyways, it's going to be a fun day tomorrow at 205 Central Time. That Houston-Kansas City game, uh, like I said, I like Houston at plus 10 getting those points, and then Green Bay at minus 4. Uh, setting up to be an interesting week next week. Uh, you know, If we have San Fran-Green Bay, you know, Green Bay got smoked by San Fran earlier in the season in San Francisco. And then on the flip side, Tennessee, right now, like I said, I put them up there with anyone, and maybe even the number one, Team with the, and I know Vegas obviously won't give you this, and this is why, I honestly, my bet the Titans win the Super Bowl because I, I guarantee that they still have the worst odds out of the remaining teams, maybe behind, maybe above Houston. Uh, or no, what I'm saying is obviously they have better odds than the teams playing tomorrow, but out of the teams that win tomorrow, they definitely will have the least, the least, uh, the the best odds, sorry, it's getting long here on this podcast, uh, to win the Super Bowl. So I think that that would honestly be a good bet, and I'm going to check that tomorrow after the games and let you guys know tomorrow night uh, what that number is at for Tennessee to take down the Super Bowl, because that'd be something if Tannehill won it all uh, on the shoulder of Derrick Henry. But anyways, guys, that's going to do it here for this podcast. I know it was a long one, but I think it was honestly one of my better ones. Uh, It was pretty off script tonight, and you know even if i have the script i typically like to you know mix in stuff and it's not all scripted you know how it goes but um i think this new kind of way i'm doing the podcast of you know giving you what happened but also just more analysis is going to be more beneficial in the long run it's going to bring in more people to listen to my stuff because you know i got to have some new takes and stuff like that uh because people don't just want the same stuff regurgitated regurgitated to them that they see on the tv But with that, I appreciate all you guys stopping by, and I'll see you back here tomorrow on January 12th after the conclusion of uh, the divisional round of the NFL playoffs to break it all down for you guys. Thanks and peace out.